Jason Muth here with Real Estate Law Podcast. We're starting a new series on this podcast, and we're calling them Quick Takes. Uh, we've recorded well over 100 episodes. We have fantastic guests from all over the world, real estate, law, and everything in between. And we know that you probably haven't listened to every single episode. If you have, wow. We really appreciate that. Um, but, you know, sometimes frequency sells, and there are things from past episodes that you might have forgotten uh, that we wanted to resurface that we think is still relevant today. Uh, and, you know, we hope that these shorter episodes and these quick takes will allow you to, you know, do something actionable uh, with your day to day that you might not have done if you didn't listen to this. The first one of these we want to highlight is with uh, an amazing guest that we had out of New York last year, Eric Davy Gislason. Uh, he is an, an instructor with the Real Estate Negotiator Institute. He's a real estate broker himself and a real estate coach. We talked with Eric about negotiation. Now, we're negotiating in our lives constantly. You're negotiating with your kids. You're negotiating in business. Uh, If you're a real estate agent, you're negotiating price and terms. Um, But negotiation is a lot different if you do it in person as opposed to over email. Think about it. Um, Sometimes you might be a little more stern or you might write uh, more structured, definitive language by email that you would never say to somebody's face. Um, So... Take a listen to this quick take. Uh, It's information about negotiation from Eric and how you might be able to modify your style, whether you're negotiating in person or via email. Eric, talk a little bit about like maybe some persuasive questioning, like during a negotiation, like how, yeah, I've said this many times in this podcast about how real estate is great because it's not zero sum. Like, and you mentioned it earlier Mm -hmm. that, you know, you don't have to win for me to lose, but you know, you do want to persuade deals to happen. And when you're buying and selling a property, you know, someone is buying and someone is selling and both of them are thinking that they're doing it at the exact right time, right? I'm selling this at the peak of the market. Oh, I'm buying this at the exact right time. How do you persuade a deal to kind of go through in some of your, you know, just with your experience and some of your tactics? Well, you know, the first thing, going back to what Rory was talking about, I think that a lot of times those inexperienced agents, what they'll do is they'll focus on, and this comes from the the seminal work on collaborative negotiation called Getting to Yes by Roger Fisher and William Urey, um, both from the, the Harvard program. But that idea of, of focusing on interests, not positions. And the first thing when we talk about price, that's a position, right? And if we we narrow it down to price alone, we then lead to entrenchment or retreat people back away into their corners because they feel that that is a, a high value element that they're, that they're being asked to give on. And so instead of focusing on the position, focus on their interests. What do they want? What is it that they're trying to achieve? Why do they want the price that, that they're hoping to get? What is their justification for? for it. In its essence, like what is the other side's interest? From the persuasion uh, standpoint, we talk in my class about the persuasion principles, these universal principles that we all use, not just in Western culture, but, but universally as human beings that work on us as persuasive techniques and that we, that we use, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, on the other side. And one of those, the first one that we just kind of talked about is self-interest. So how do I, have, how do I get the other side to uh, understand that what I'm asking them to do is in their interest, not my interest. So I want to ask questions of the other side where I say, what, tell me a little bit about your seller, what they're trying to achieve or what are their goals? What do they want? And I start to have that. And, and then I say, what else? And what else? 
and what else? And I want to get a list of value elements that I can start to measure up against the things that we are looking at in terms of value. And so uncovering those additional value elements, or as you know, Chris Voss calls them black swans, that those things that we don't know, we don't know, and finding those things that could change the face of a negotiation at, instead of just focusing on the positions in terms of price or closing timeline or contingencies or down payment, right? There are other persuasive uh, tools that we use, like the contrast principle, where I may say to the other side, look, here's the list to close ratio for houses in this subdivision or in this neighborhood. This is the offer that we're making. Our offer is 1% higher than the list to close ratio on average in the neighborhood um, as a way to highlight how much better our offer is than where things are closing in that neighborhood or in that subdivision. So using the contrast principle to magnify the contrast between the alternative and what you're offering. And oftentimes the other side, they have their own contrasts in mind. Right. They've all already determined what the contrast is. Well, my neighbor sold their house for X amount of dollars. And so therefore, I need to sell my house for Y. Right. Whether that's 10 percent higher or the same price determined as the contrast may not meet the market now. You know, interest rates have gone higher. Prices settle. Now they may not be able to get 10 percent more than their neighbor got for their property. Or maybe there's a difference between the two properties. So you introducing your own contrast into that negotiation may help the help the other side reframe their contrast. And they can then justify the price that you're offering based on that contrast. You know, we talked about the sameness principle with my my auto signature, the the world's best dad and the auto signature. What I'm trying to do there is to create some connection with the other side, create some whether it's humor or whether they're a parent or whether, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is, I'm trying to create some sort of a connection that goes beyond just the transaction. There are several others. Uh, Kevin Hogan and uh, Dr. Robert Cialdini did and many others now um, have done significant work on identifying these ways that we persuade each other. So a lot of the questions, and again, I focus on the how, the way we ask questions, the types of questions and the way we ask questions is so much more important than the actual question itself, in my opinion. What is it that we're trying to achieve? What is the goal in asking that question? And then all of those questions that we are all asking, we find a different way to ask them or two or three different ways to ask them as opposed to just the one way that we know how to ask it. The one way that we've been trained or taught to ask that question, which may not get us to the answer that we need. And as Rory mentioned earlier, this is a little bit off topic, but as Rory mentioned earlier, it's not always asking questions to the listing agent. They may not be willing to give you the information you need. Sometimes it's that idea of going to a third party uh, expert, an attorney, a title professional, a mortgage professional, going to people who may be able to add context to that negotiation who don't have skin in the game. You referenced getting to yes um, earlier. <laughs> I, I had it in arm's length, so I just wanted to pull it in there. But that's the the method my law school taught us um, with negotiation. Um, but I think the challenge in real world application is the the way we were trained with this is they imagine you're sitting at a negotiating table all ready to go in kind of a good formal session, which many attorneys actually do have the luxury of. But in a faster paced market and 
um, a world of email communication and intermediaries. I think the, the hardest part of it is getting the conversation started in the first place. So you've given us a lot of good tactics and questions to ask. Um, and you've also referenced getting third-party providers in there. But do you have any other thoughts on opening up the conversation or at the very least understanding what's going on? Because I know I've always struggled in particularly email and text message communications, understanding what the other side's interests are. And I frequently, to this day, misinterpret the other side's intentions um, over written communication. You're absolutely right. That is the, the danger in negotiation, written negotiation, or negotiating over email or text, which in our, look, the reality is in the real estate world today, there are going to be moments, there are going to be times when we are passing messages, we are negotiating via email or text. In my advanced concepts course, we spend time just breaking down what are the issues, what are the problems with negotiating via email, and how can we become better at it knowing that it's an issue, that it creates what what we call that trust gap, where you're writing an email no matter how you no matter what the tone or the 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 attitude or the messages that you are sending out there the reader the recipient determines the tone of that message on their side they determine based on what they're going through that day what mood they're in what the last interaction was with you or your team they determine how they're reading that email and that can cause some serious issues or to your point rory you receive an email and you realize later that you didn't really read it in the context that it was meant so there's a there's a big issue there and we talk about that idea of making sure that you are utilizing email when it's necessary but also leaving email behind or text behind and and i'm I'm not a fan of of using text at all in a negotiation because it, it it really does not allow you then to to use bullet points or to to really maximize bullet points and italics and and bold face and and to really use a formal written communication style in order to get your point across so if we focus specifically on email there are ways that we can enhance that but then on the other side of it that idea that you mentioned how do you get the conversation started this is this is one of the reasons why we want to measure up the other side and see what style they're bringing to the table because when we do that when we understand what style they're bringing to the table we may then understand why it is that they keep forcing us into an email communication it may be a very passive aggressive way of negotiating and a lot of competitive negotiators use email because they can be more bombastic they can be more aggressive they can use those hard bargaining tactics and they're not talking to you face to face or or even over the phone they've got the ability to just kind of jab at you via written communication so when you know that 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 you're dealing with a competitive negotiator and they keep bringing it back to email now you can say look i will gain power as a collaborative negotiator i'm going to gain power over that competitive negotiator by elevating this level of conversation. How do I do it? How do I get that competitive negotiator to stop reducing our communication to email and written communication? And how do I get them on the phone? Oftentimes, competitive negotiator or any negotiator, going back to that self-interest principle is a good way to do it. You say to them, instead of emailing them and saying, this is what I want to know, A, B, C, D, and E, 
instead of giving them that information and the ability to continue on that path of email communication, you just say, I have something I think you need to know, or I have something I think that you need to, that you should hear. Uh, give me a call at your earliest convenience. You use the self-interest principle to say, I've got information you want. And then there's another persuasion principle in there, the uniqueness principle, as Dr. Cialdini called it, the scarcity principle. I have something that you need to know. And a competitive negotiator, especially, but all of us as humans, we that when something is scarce or unique, it is inherently more valuable than we say, oh, maybe it's worth for me picking up the phone or meeting that person for coffee because they've got information that only I can get or that's very valuable for me to have. So and I know that sounds simple, but it is amazing to me how many agents that I coach and how many agents that I train who have been stonewalled by another agent and in my class over a break. They use this tactic and they go to the other side and they say, hey, give me a call. I've got some really, really interesting news for you. And lo and behold, we're sitting back in class 10 minutes later and their phone is ringing. And that person who hadn't called them for 48 hours is on the phone and they're running out of the classroom to pick it up because they know that they have to get that. So sometimes just making something instead of giving away the game, it's the same thing with the yes or no questions where you're giving the other side an out instead of giving them all the information make them come to you for it. And the other way that I train this is, is that what I call the tip of the sphere. And a lot of agents miss that opportunity at the beginning of the negotiation. I'll use a Chris Voss quote again, the most dangerous negotiation is the one you don't know you're in, right? So we are always negotiating. I think Jason, you mentioned that at the beginning of the podcast, we are always negotiating. So when I am a listing agent and a buyer's agent calls me for an appointment, that's my opportunity. Pick up the phone, have a five minute conversation with them and pump them for information as much as I possibly can before they even get to the property. Because the wall starts to build up once they start to understand that they want it or that they're interested in it. And that ability to get that information or understand those value elements starts to dissipate. So at the tip of the spear, getting that information. If I'm a buyer's agent, the same thing. Instead of just emailing for an appointment, I want to call them and ask them what's important to their seller or show up at the first open house a little bit early so that I can get some face time with that listing agent. But that early communication right off the bat is really important. And a lot of agents miss that opportunity. And then they're shocked when the other side doesn't want to give them a lot of information because now we're all that place where, where everybody's taking their stand. Mm -hmm. They're standing on their, you know, on their hill. They're unwilling to move off of it because they're afraid that the other side's going to, going to move them too far one side or the other and move them off of their goal. And there is another real estate law podcast, quick take for the full episode. Please go to YouTube or iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to or heard that quick take. We're also on realestatelawpodcast.com where you can get all of our episodes and information about the show. On behalf of attorney broker Rory Gill, this is Jason Muth. Thank you for listening.